Our scripture reading tonight is from the, the book of Acts, the fifth chapter. The book of Acts, the fifth chapter. There are actually 23 references found in the, the book of Acts to either a single, solitary angels or to angels throughout the book. It, it just comes to us as a reminder of the fact that the work of angels does not end at Bethlehem. Now hopefully you've kind of grasped that over the course of the last several Sunday evenings as we've looked at angels, we've looked at their creation, we've looked at the uniqueness of who they are, how God has, has created them and given them power, how God used them. We were back in Genesis at uh, the flaming angel there with his flaming sword, excuse me, the cherubim. We've, we've gone to, to Hagar and we've seen the angels at work with Abraham and Lot. We, we've listed many passages throughout the Old Testament in which Christ shows himself as the angel of the Lord. Last Lord's Day we, we looked at... Uh, the way in which even angels were so active in the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But their work, their ministry did not end at the birth of Jesus or at the resurrection of Jesus. Their work and ministry continued in the early church. And what we want to look at tonight is that work of the angels as it continued not only in the book of Acts, but how we see that work continuing as we look at the gospel, at the, at the epistles, as we reflect upon how God shows us sovereign history in the book of Revelation. But our scripture reading is going to be from Acts chapter 5, and we're going to pick it up at verse 17. Acts 5, verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles, put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the consul, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look! The men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid 
of being stoned by the people. Let's fire the reading of God's word tonight. Let's again bow in prayer and ask for God's blessing. Father in heaven, we give thanks for the work of angels, and we know that ultimately that comfort and that blessing that we have from them comes from your hand, and we pray your blessing on Pastor Bob as he brings this word to us, that we may be blessed through it, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Three things tonight. One, God continued to use them to bring messages. That's their work. Secondly, that God delivered believers through them. That's their work. And thirdly, that God still uses them in this world. First of all, then, that he used them to, to bring messages. And we're going to be largely in the book of Acts, so I didn't print off all the scripture references because seeing we're in one book and don't have to try to find five, six, seven, eight different books of the Bible and we're all turning our pages trying to get there. But uh, I think we can just page our way through. So start with me at Acts chapter 1. Here we are at the ascension. Jesus is lifted up for their very eyes. Cloud takes them out of their sight. They're wondering. Right? Disciples don't have it all put together. What does this mean? So, now what? God does not want his people perplexed. Because God knows that perplexed people become people who become anxious. Anxious people become worriers and fretters. God does not want his people to worry. God does not want his people to fret. God does not want his people to be filled with anxiety. So what does God do at that moment? They stand there looking up into heaven. Acts 1, 11. Excuse me, 10. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What are they doing? They're coming with a word of comfort, are they not? And the word of comfort that these angels bring is he's coming back. He's coming back in the very same way that you saw him go. They come to bring this information about Jesus' return. It's a message. It's a message that comes not from their minds, not from what they know. After all, Jesus has already said, not even the angels know when I'm going to return. So this is a, a message that has been given to them. It's been placed upon them. Go, go to those disciples. Go to those men down there that are looking so intently, questioningly. Go and tell them. Give them the message. 
he's coming again. Here we are at this season of the year celebrating the the birth of Jesus. We know, you know, a lot of what is said at Christmas, we know we just need the refresher. We just need the reminder. We know he's come. We know he died on the cross. We know he saved us. But you know, there's a part of us that, like disciples, are oftentimes like this. Now what? And our now what is filled with a lot of questions, filled with anxiety. And all of that comes to a quietness and a stillness. He's coming back. He's coming back. And for the disciples, that is a reminder, isn't it? It's a reminder of words they've heard from Jesus. And if I go, I'll prepare a place for you. And I will come again. And I will take you to be with me. The angels came with a message of comfort for these disciples at this particular time. Another word or another message okay, comes to us in the book of Acts chapter 7. It's a unique circumstance where they are referenced here. In chapter 7, Stephen is before the Sanhedrin preaching, I think we could well call it that, uh, a gospel message to these men of unbelief, these men who lack faith. He, he is preaching a most eloquent sermon. When you come to verse 30, we're reminded of an event. We're reminded of the giving of the law. Something that was so precious to these men of the Sanhedrin. To these Jewish leaders. These Jewish scholars. These teachers of the law. What's the reminder? Verse 30. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. In the flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And when he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your father. What's the message? It's a message of comfort. We're in the midst of slavery. We're in the midst of oppression. We're in the midst of a cruel dictator who's killing our baby boys. An angel comes. Now, we learned, did we not, a few weeks ago that this is the angel of the Lord. This is Christ himself who comes. But what's he coming with? Comfort, comfort ye my people. I am here. I have not left. I have not gone. I have not ceased to exist. I have not been dethroned. I am the Lord your God. As Stephen is looking in the faces of these men, filled with anger, these men who are gnashing their teeth at him, gritting their teeth, 
They can't wait to get their hands upon them and kill them. They hate what they're hearing. They hate what they're, what's going on. The words that come to Stephen are a reminder in the midst of the persecution that he is looking at. Not possibly going to happen. It's staring him in the face. I am here. It's interesting, later on in that same sermon, it reminds us of the fact that, that the law that, that was given was given to Moses by angels. How interesting it is that when you come to the end of this chapter, we read that Stephen's face was like the face of an angel. And I might have mentioned this before, if, if so, pardon me, but it, but it fits. I know I mentioned it in Bible study. The face of an angel. You think his face was glowing white? I don't. I don't think that's what it means. Because if I'm on the Sanhedrin and I see a guy there who has the glory of God showing from his face, I'm not going to be picking up rocks and throwing them at him. What is the face of an angel? The face of peace and assurance. In the midst of hard and difficult times. Comfort, comfort ye my people. They're used as well in Acts chapter 8. Here, in a, in a slightly different way, they come. Acts chapter 8. Find verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem. To worship and was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah and the spirit said to Philip go over and join this chariot isn't that an interesting transition the angel says go the spirit says keep going this is a change this is, we, we have you have to understand the significance of of Acts chapter 8, 26, the angel is coming and saying, it's time to extend the boundaries. It's time to go beyond the boundary of Jerusalem and Samaria. It's time to take this message to the ends of the world. The church needs some prompting. The church needs some leading. So how does God do this? God sends an angel. Here is the message. Clear, straight, go. It's a desert place. You're going to think there isn't anything there. But in essence, I have prepared the one person that I want you to meet there. Angels with messages from the Lord. Or you go over to Acts chapter 10. There we meet a man by the name of Cornelius. A man who is a Gentile. Good guy. Good soldier, good Roman official, centurion, man who has 
given well to the synagogue. A devout man, verse 2 tells us, who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously, prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, verse 3, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The church is growing. God comes with a message from an angel. Go get Peter. It's time that you as Gentiles hear the gospel. At the end of this account, we know what happens. Peter comes. He preaches the gospel to them. They receive it by faith. And there is rejoicing over that which God is doing. See, angels didn't just disappear off the pages of Scripture. They're active. God is actively using them to continue to bring his messages. Second point, God delivered believers through them. We go back to Acts chapter 5, this passage we read. What an interesting text, isn't it? They're in prison. The, the, the apostles have been arrested, at least a couple of them. And there, the angel comes and leads a jailbreak. A jailbreak that is so mystifying. We get, we get a little bit of insight, don't we, into this power of angels to deliver. Think of the situation that we read of. Sanhedrin, once again, is rising up in anger against the church. The apostles in prison... An angel comes. You don't even read here that he opens doors. When they go and search, there is no human explanation as to that which has happened. There hasn't been an earthquake that they can explain it away. It isn't even that guards have been struck in some way, like at the resurrection, because of the glory that was there. They're standing on guard duty. The door's shut. Yet, the apostles are out in the temple square preaching and proclaiming the gospel, exactly what the Sanhedrin told them, don't do any more of. And they're out there because the angel said, go back. Go back. God takes these spirits, angels, and uses them in the midst of the life of his people to deliver them from the persecution that they were facing at that time. Go with me to Acts chapter 12, because this isn't the only time here in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 12. 
We read of another occurrence where this takes place. Verse 6 is where we'll start. Acts 12, 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. The chains fell off his hands and the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so and he said to him, wrap your cloak around you. And follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to an iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. God takes these spirits, brings them to earth, and in ways that that our minds cannot understand or explain, and God doesn't go into detail about it, it's just this is the way it is, This is the truth. This is the miraculous way in which it worked. Believe it, accept it, and know that I command my angels concerning you so that you do not dash your foot against a stone without it being my will. A text that we often say applies to Jesus Christ. Of course it does. But if it applies to Christ, then if we are in Christ, then it applies to us as well. He will give his angels charge over you. That's what we're seeing. The message needed to be brought. That message needed to be brought by those who were eyewitnesses. That message of the gospel needed to be conveyed by Peter, by John, by Matthew, by Thomas, by the other disciples. God said, Sanhedrin, you're trying to undo the gospel. It's not going to happen. Herod, you're trying to undo the gospel. It's not going to happen. I give my angels charge over these men. And they rescued them. It's Peter's words. It's rescue. They bring judgment. Go to Acts chapter 12, the very next chapter. The very man who is causing all of this havoc, Herod, gets his own visit. Pick it up at verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, They asked for peace because their country depended upon the king's country for food. On the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God 
increase and multiply. An angel of judgment comes to those who are the persecutor of the church. Suddenly brought down. Suddenly cut down. The man of so much power, the man of so much influence, the man with a golden tongue is suddenly wreathing in pain as worms eat away his insides. Go to Acts chapter 27. See, now we've covered basically the whole book of Acts. We come to chapter 27, and we might say, well, you see, that's just the early church. No. Paul has been on several missionary journeys. Lo and behold, we're on the way to Rome. And on the way to Rome, there's a shipwreck. Not the best of times. There's struggles, there's problems associated with all of that. Go to verse 21. I'm at the wrong chapter. Sorry. Chapter 27. Verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Again, a man in the midst of, of a whole lot of turmoil. Now you, you think about the Apostle Paul at this juncture of all that he has been through. Of all the beatings, of all the stonings that have happened. The imprisonments he's endured. Now he's, he's on the way to Rome. Lord, really? Here in the middle of the ocean? This is where I make my end? This is where I die? No, Paul. No. An angel comes and gives Paul the message, Paul, you're going to be okay. It's all right. You're going to make it to Rome. Yeah, you're, you're flopping around a little bit here in the sea. Ship's breaking apart. This isn't the best of circumstances, but, but Paul, I'm here to tell you, you're going to make it to Rome. And Paul, as you look around, all these people you're here on this ship with, they're all going to be safe too. This is not where I meet my end. An angel of the Lord brings what? Words of comfort. Now, we would probably say in, in our understanding of things, and, and uh, I think rightly so, that the necessity of an angel to bring us a message 
is no longer needed. That work, that ministry of angels is of not a necessity. Why? Because we have the fullness of God's word. As we're reading Acts, they don't have that. They don't even have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. All that is yet to come yet. They don't have the account of the Gospels. The, the letters of Paul are, are beginning to flow. We don't have the revelation of John on the island of Patmos yet. God, in order to communicate his truth to his people, does so throughout this book of history of the church by means of angels and their witness. But the necessity of that angelic mission of bringing messages, the Bible tells us this is what we have. This is the message. This is all we need. No new revelation come to us. We don't add to it. We don't subtract from it. But what about the rest of the work? I found a couple of interesting quotes, again, from individuals I wouldn't necessarily would have thought would have much to say about angels. It's one of those things, you know, you, you get a conception of a scholar and you just think, this would not be of interest to him. If I bring you John Calvin again. In his Institutes of the Christian Religion, nonetheless, not just in some off thing that he wrote, this, this is his main theological work. He writes the following. John Calvin, 1500s. Angels are the dispensers and administrators of the divine benevolence towards us. They regard our safety. They undertake our defense. They direct our ways and exercise a constant watch that no evil befalls us. God does not make angels the ministers of his power and goodness in order to divide his glory with them, so neither does he promise his assistance in their ministry that we may divide our confidence between them and him. I want you to catch two things that Calvin has said. One, we are not to make much of angels. Not in the sense that we give them the praise, that we delight in them, that we thank them for the deliverance. They are simply those who minister in the name of God. Calvin is saying the glory belongs to God and to God alone. That being said, we have to understand that God makes use of these creatures for our benefit yet today. And if it was true in the 1500s, it's true today. They still are at work. John Milton, Paradise Lost. Millions of spiritual creatures walk the earth when we sleep and when we wake. How cognizant are we as we live life from day to day that God is commanding his angels over us? How many times haven't you said, whew, that was close. 
How many times haven't you said, I can't believe I survived that? How many times haven't you said, I don't know where that individual came from and the help they brought? How many times have you reflected on the fact you're driving along the road, maybe coming home late from a relative or whatever, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, how cognizant are you that the car coming at you is probably, could likely be somebody who is dead drunk? And why is it that that car doesn't swerve in front of you at that moment? Because God gives his angels charge over you. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor Bob. Hold on, hold on. I know plenty of people, good Christian folk, they've died in those kind of accidents. Yeah. Isn't that comforting? You say, how is that comforting? Well, then truly it wasn't an accident, was it? Because if God gives his angels charge to keep us, then God also withholds his angels to bring us. What an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? Isn't that comforting? See, it isn't things out of control. Could not he give charge to 10,000 angels to come to your rescue? Absolutely. Well, why did he withhold them? Come home. It's now time to come home. See, it's only when we make little of heaven that we make too much of earth. For us as believers, the greatest thing is that we go home to be with the Lord. Why did, why, why did that car pass and not cross the line? Why did God deliver Peter? Why did God strike Herod? Because there was still the work of the gospel to be done. Why are you and I here? Because there is still the work of the gospel to be done. And until the final day that our work of bringing the gospel individually or corporately as the body of Christ is done, God gives his angels charge over us. Millions of creatures coming and going from the presence of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, angels are unseen attendants of the saints of God. They bear us up in their hands lest we dash our foot against a stone. Loyalty to their Lord leads them to take a deep interest in the children of his love. They rejoice over the return of the prodigal to his father's house and they welcome the advent of the believer 
to the king's palace above. The scriptures say who it is that receives us with joy into glory, but the angels. They rejoice over our rebirth. They rejoice in our coming home to be with the Lord. I just found it interesting that, that here are these, these great scholars. We've lost something of this. Maybe in our effort not to worship them. Maybe in our effort not to become too overwhelmed. To go too far. Sometimes the problem is when, when, when we draw back from things like that, we, we draw back from the truth, the precious truth that God has given to us in his word. But his angels have been given charge over us. Think of the book of Revelation. You know, there, there might be the mindset among some that, that might say, boy, I don't know, I, I think all this angel stuff ended at the end of the New Testament. That doesn't, quite, that doesn't quite go along with the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation takes us to the end of time. And in that span of time, the book of Revelation reveals to us over and over and over again that the active agents involved in both blessing and in judgment upon this earth where you and I live now are angels. They're the ones that hold the seven bowls. They're the ones who have seven trumpets. They're the ones singing in glory. They're the ones coming with Christ. They're the ones that God is saying in the book of Revelation to his saints who are in the midst of trials and persecution and trouble and wondering about the existence of this thing called the church, whether it was going to last, what was going to happen to them, what was going to happen to their children as this persecution grows and builds. That God, through his messengers, the angels, comes to his people again as he came in Revelation, or as he came in Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort ye my people. The book of Revelation is not written to create fear. The book of Revelation is not given to somehow create worry and anxiety within us about the end of time. God gives us this book to show that his agents, the angels, are still at work even until the coming of Jesus Christ. And he's got it in hand. He's got it in control. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. We've got two more texts. Hebrews chapter 1. The whole chapter is basically, in essence, that God is saying that Christ, his son, is superior to angels in every way, in every regard. That, that's basically the theme of chapter 1. But when he comes to the end of the chapter, God reminds us of this very important work of angels. 1 verse 14. Are they 
See, it's not Christ, because then it wouldn't be, it would be singular. He, they, meaning angels, are they not all ministering spirits? To do what? Sent out to serve, interesting, considering this morning, correct? Sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. What do angels do? They're sent to watch over, to care, to minister to you and I. Comfort, comfort, ye mighty. When the angel comes, as we'll look at next Sunday morning, when the angel comes with the message to the shepherd, fear not. I bring you good news of great joy. Comfort. See, God so loves us. God so cares for us. Yes, he sends his son to die to make salvation the reality of our lives. But he also, and do not minimize this, gives his angels the responsibility of caring for you and I. So much so that when we come to the close of Hebrews, chapter 13, I believe it is, verse 2, we are reminded of the fact, we are reminded of the fact in the call that is given there to be hospitable people. And that's the, the context of it. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby, Some have entertained angels unawares. Most commentators will tell you that the author of Hebrews is most likely referencing the the times when Abraham and Lot received visitors because both of those are situations of hospitality. Both of those are situations where neither Abraham nor Lot really fully knew or understood until later who it was that was before them. So the author of Hebrews is enjoining us, calling us to say, be that kind of person. Be that kind of hospitable person because you never know who it is that you're serving. That's the call, but when you step back from it and think about it in the context of our study of angels, hear what God's Word is saying. There are those that we meet. They don't have homes. They don't have jobs. Okay, let's clarify this, okay? That which is being talked about here, these angels... Okay? They, 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 don't, they don't teach in the next classroom next to us. Angels come and go. They're ministering spirits. Yes, they may, for short periods of time, take on the appearance of humanity. But they are spirits. 
They don't eat, they don't drink in that regard. It's interesting that in the, the thing of Abraham, I don't think it ever actually references they eat. But the point is, is there not the neighbor who moves in next to you and has been living there 10 years? This is the person we pass by and pay no attention to who's struggling just to get to their feet to walk. This is the person shivering out in the cold. This is the person, angel, who makes that ever brief momentary appearance in our life and then is gone. We are to make the most of every opportunity. There are times when the most of every opportunity is to serve in love. Because these are our ministering spirits. And we're going to close with that song, He leadeth me, O blessed thought. Words with heavenly comfort fraught. Wherever I be, whatever I do, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. Ah, the sovereignty of God is so clearly displayed. You see, what we so often fail to realize is that God's hand is certainly that which is leading. But oftentimes, in your and my life, that which does that, are the angels of God created by Him for His glory and to minister to you and I. A number of years ago, one of the contemporary Christian songs came out, Got His Angels Watching Over Me. That song still sticks in my head. Got his angels watching over me. I, don't, I can't, I can't think about all of the, the words. I tried to find them, but I wasn't too successful at that. And I'm not sure how theologically sound all the verses were, but, but I just keep hearing that repetition. He's got his angels watching over me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And God's people said, Amen. Yes, Father, we deal with our hardships. We deal with our struggles. We deal with our difficulties. But Lord, these are all under your divine control. And Lord, there is nothing that happens to us in our lives that is outside of your control. And Lord, we, we often think, and as we reflect upon this, of the problems, the diseases, the difficulties, and we forget. We forget all those, wow, that was close. We forget all those, I don't know how that happened. Lord, perhaps tonight we've got a little better inkling a little better theological explanation 
for that which transpires in our lives. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for watching over us through your created spirits. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen. One commentator I, I, that I read said it's kind of interesting. He gives us the Holy Spirit internally. He gives us angels externally. Marvelous truth that God has given to us.